yet. <laughs> but he is coming. And the sad news is actually the best time for you to leave, having realized that, just, just ended with the kids going. <laughs> so here we are together. I'm glad, no, I'm very glad that you're here. The text we're going to look at today is a very important text in Philippians. Now I know I may have said that before. But I'm serious. This text today is a very important text in Philippians. And I'm excited uh, about what the Lord has in store for us today. We're almost to the end of our study. We've been engaging and looking at what the Apostle Paul has had to say to this beloved church in Philippi. We have a nine-week study and we're at week eight. So we're quickly coming, coming to the end. Last week we got to hear Paul's sort of personal story, his personal narrative, as he, as he talked about what happened in his life, as he refuted the idea that one can be a child of God, that one can be a citizen of heaven by any way other than faith. We heard from Paul, we listened to him as he talked about his pedigree, about how he was born into a good Jewish family, how he was circumcised on the correct day and in the correct way. And we, we heard from him as he talked about his pedigree and how he used to rely on that. Rely on that in confidence that he would be in heaven. We heard from him how he used to rely, before he became a Christian, on his good works. On how he obeyed every legalistic demand of the law. And how... He felt because of that obedience, because of that good works, that he had merited his salvation. And then we heard from him as he talked about what happened when he met Christ. And how all of that changed. How he realized his pedigree, his orthodoxy, all of that was rubbish in comparison to Christ. And that only faith in Christ, only faith in Christ is one a citizen of heaven, is one saved. So we were hearing his personal story. We're going to continue that today. We're going to continue to hear from Paul as he's talking about his life, as he's talking about what occupies his thoughts, what motivated his actions, how he understands the zeal of a Christian life. So let's get to it, shall we? Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 4. Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 4. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1163. Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, false. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And now we come to the verses we're going to look at today. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I had to start at verse 4. That sort of has been the habit of our study. I had to start to make sure we ground what we're going to talk about in context. Context is always critical. Context, context, context. You see, without context, we are left to our own ideas. We are left to our own thoughts, our own mind to fill in what we think might be being talked about. But by grounding it in context, we don't supply the meaning to the text. The text does. And so I wanted us to make sure we kept in mind what we're talking about here. And so what are we talking about here? What has been Paul, what has he been presenting? Well, basically, Paul's been giving his testimony. Paul has been giving his testimony, or what I like to call his journey of salvation. You see, it really is a journey. There's a starting point. There's an end point. And there's the middle. And Paul has been giving us his personal testimony about this journey of salvation. And it started for Paul at Damascus. On the road to Damascus when Christ arrested his soul. It started for Paul at that moment when he gave his life to Christ, when he became a Christian by faith. That moment, that moment we call conversion, that moment for Paul was when he was free from the slavery of sin, from the slavery of death. That moment for Paul was when he was assured that he would eternally be with Christ. That was his starting point. Now there's an end point. There's an end point in which Christ returns. On that day that Christ returns, when Paul and all of us Christians, all of us who believe in Christ, become perfected. When there's no hint of sin anymore in our lives. That moment when we will know Christ fully, when we will be like Christ Perfectly, There'll be no gap in our relationship we will see clearly. 
For there are these two moments, these two wonderful moments of salvation. The moment of conversion and the moment when our salvation is fully consummated with his return. And these two moments govern the focus of Paul's life. Govern the focus of a Christian's life. Of what Christ has done and what he will do helps determine the middle of this journey. And it is the middle of this journey for which Paul is talking about today. He's talking about his mindset in the middle of this journey. The middle of this journey is discipleship, is it not? It's becoming more like Christ. It's living a life that validates the first moment, that validates conversion, that validates the change that happens real, and it anticipates the final moment, when the wonder, miraculous change, the transforming, the perfection that will happen in our lives. But this final moment should not be a surprise. Our lives anticipate that. And this is what Paul's been talking about. Paul's talking about his journey of salvation. And I believe he gives three points, three points for his mindset, for what characterizes the zeal of his Christian walk. I'd like us to look at this text again because these points come at each other real quickly. Starting with verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I think there are three points, three characteristics of this zeal. I think the first one is, the first one of a person on this journey of salvation, the first one is a realization that we are not there yet. That we are not perfected. I mean, look at the words Paul uses. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. Even down in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Well, what is the it? What is the this he's talking about? Well, context tells us that. Context tells us that. It's what Paul's been talking about in his own testimony from the beginning. He uses different phrases. He uses the righteousness and the resurrection, but it's all about gaining Christ, being perfectly found in Christ, perfect knowledge in Christ. And Paul is saying he has not attained that. He has not arrived there yet. And why? I mean, why hasn't Paul arrived at it? I mean, Paul's at the end of his ministry almost. He's almost at the end of his life when he's writing this. Well, Quite simply, he hasn't arrived there yet because Christ hasn't returned yet. That's the moment in which we are perfected. Now, why would Paul want the Philippian church to grasp that? Why, why is it important that we grasp 
that we are not perfected? Well, for one reason, so we don't think we're there yet. So we don't think everything's been done. So that we don't think conversion is it. And we're done. Now, most of us, if we're quite honest with ourselves, it doesn't take us too long to know that we're not there yet. You know, it doesn't take me more than a second and a half, and that's if I take a break in the middle, to realize I'm not there yet. So then, why do sometimes I act like it? Why, if I know I'm not there yet on this journey of salvation, if I know I'm not there yet, why do sometimes I stand pat where I'm at? Why do I sometimes not endeavor, endeavor to dig deeper in Scripture? Why do I sometimes not endeavor to pray more? Why do sometimes I not endeavor to get to love you more? Why do sometimes I not endeavor to help others? If I'm not there yet, if I am not perfectly like Christ yet, then why do I stand pat? The journey of salvation, friends, has no rest stops. It's continual. And so I think knowing, knowing that I am not there yet should spur me on should encourage me to continue to grow and to walk in Christ. So, I think that's one thing. But knowing I'm not there yet can also be comfort. One of the greatest lies, the greatest weapon the evil one can use is guilt. Guilt can paralyze a rightfully contrite heart. Perhaps you've heard the whispers. Perhaps you've heard the whispers as you are repentant and asking for forgiveness. You've heard the whispers of, how can you ask God for forgiveness again? How many times have you asked him for forgiveness for that thing? You promised God you'd never do that again, and yet you did it. How can you go back to God again? Just give it up. Just quit. Perhaps you've heard that lie. And it's a lie. We are not there yet. The Father knows we are not there yet. Because He knows we will be perfected when His Son returns. So we could not be there yet. Discipleship is a lifelong process of growth. The truth is, the truth is, we will not fully know what God requires of us this side of heaven. The truth is, we will often fall short. We will disappoint Him. We will let Him down more times than we care to admit. But God's love is unfathomable. God's love is indestructible. God's love is always available. 
Paul says to the Romans, he tells the Romans that neither death, nor life, nor the present, nor the future, nor angels, nor demons, nor any powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We are not there yet. We are not there yet. And we can draw comfort in our stumbling that we are not there yet. But we should also be spurred on. We should be spurred on to continue to move on this journey of salvation. So I think the first, the first aspect of this zeal of Christian life that Paul talks about, the first thing he describes about his mindset is he understands he's not perfected. The second thing he mentions, the second idea, is that he is of single focus. That he is singly focused on one thing. Listen to the words that he uses. But I press on to take hold. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. Towards the goal. He presses on. Well, what is he pressing on? What is he seeking? the very thing he knows he's not there yet. He knows he's not perfectly in Christ, but yet that is his goal. He knows he doesn't have the perfect knowledge of Christ. He hasn't wholly gained Christ, because he knows that won't happen fully until Christ returns. Yet that process, this journey, is what his goal is. One thing, to be more like Christ. He presses on. And this focus is is future-focused. It's focused to what lies ahead. I mean, it's focused to what's going to happen to Paul and to us as Christians as we move along this journey, as we become more like Christ. And it's focused to that final day. It looks to that final day when Christ returns And we are transformed completely. I wonder. I wonder sometimes in my own life. One of the reasons that I I struggle with my growth in Christ. I wonder if it's because I don't fully think about what Christ will do for me on that day. What Christ will do to me on that day. I wonder if I solely only think about what Christ has done for me. That my difficulty in moving forward is I'm not looking that direction. I'm not thinking that direction. Paul uses imagery of a runner here. Of of an athlete in a race looking to gain the prize. And this passage is sometimes caused some Protestants a little difficulty because they wonder if Paul is talking about actually being able to gain the prize, that if he runs in such a way he can actually gain it. The imagery is not on 
the race or the prize, the image that Paul's using is he's describing a runner, a runner who is heading for a prize. That his life is like this runner straining ahead. You remember the Olympics? They'd have these, now they have the TV cameras that can just get right in on the, the racers. And have you ever seen them? I mean, their whole body, their whole body is pounding the track. Their muscles are just shaking. They're surrounded by thousands of people, thousands of people taking pictures, cheering, yelling, flags waving. They've got cameras on them. They've got other races around them. But if you look at their eyes, it's on one thing. The whole way. It's on what is ahead. This is how Paul is characterizing his walk. That it is singly focused on one thing, and that is what is ahead. What Christ will do for him on this journey. And what Christ will ultimately do to him at the final point. Does my life look like that? Does your life look like that? Are we so singly focused on what Christ will do? He gives us a litmus test here. He gives us one thing we can look at, one thing we can check to see if we are future focused on what Christ will do. Forgetting what is behind. I wondered what that meant. What are the things we forget? And I thought at first, well, maybe, maybe it's forgetting the pleasures of the flesh that we left behind, the narcissistic lifestyle that we left behind when we became Christians. Or maybe it was that. But then I was reminded, context tells me. Christ, this is about Christ's work in a believer. This is about this journey of salvation. So Paul is talking about forgetting what is behind, I believe, on this journey. So what, what is behind that can sometimes distract us? What is behind that can sometimes change our focus? A couple of things came to mind that I think we don't think about as a distraction. One, one is the victories we've had in Christ. Those wondrous things that Christ has brought us through. Those incredible moments where Christ has sustained us. Those moments where we have been able to break through a cycle of sin and temptation. Those moments can sometimes be a distraction to moving ahead. Now don't get me wrong. Should we praise God for those victories? Of course. Do we draw encouragement from that? Of course. Are they part of our testimony? Absolutely. But our focal point is what is ahead. Our reference point isn't what simply Christ has brought us through, but Christ himself. Our reference point is what Christ is going to do for us. And I think if we only think about it, we tend to look behind on what Christ has done, that can lead to being lax. 
that can lead to thinking we're there. Because our focus is now distracted to what has happened, not what is going to happen. Not what the Lord has in store for us. Let the victories in Christ be a part of your testimony. But let your future growth in Christ be your focus. A second thing I think that can distract us. I think the victories in Christ can distract us. I think blessings from Christ can distract us. Specifically, blessings of people that He has given to us. Sometimes when you're following the Lord, when the Lord is directing you on this journey of salvation, sometimes He guides you to leave. Perhaps it's a family. Perhaps it's where you've grown up. It's the household you've grown up in. And like Abraham, you are called to leave that. And that is hard. That is hard because this household you grew up in is such a blessing. And it's easy to sort of walk down that journey looking back with nostalgia. Look forward. Look forward. And families, if, if, if someone has to leave, send them. Don't try to keep them back with you. Let the Lord do what the Lord wants to do for them. Pray for them. Support them. Of course. But it's a forward journey. Sometimes it's not family, but it's friends. A ministry group. Maybe the Lord is directing you on this path, on this journey of salvation. He calls you to leave a ministry group. He calls you to leave friends. Look forward. I'm not talking about breaking contacts. I'm not talking about ending friendships. That's ridiculous. I'm talking about keeping your eyes forward and not letting the good old days be what governs your thoughts. And maybe it's a church. Maybe the Lord has given you a wonderful, wonderful church. And you would want to worship with that church all the days of your life. But the Lord is directing you someplace else. The Lord is directing you someplace else because He has something else in store for you. Don't be distracted by what is left behind. And church, don't be afraid to sin. We are to be singly focused on what is in the future. That's the second aspect of this zeal for Christian living. One is realizing we are not perfected, that we are not perfectly like Christ. And the second is realizing that that is our focus, to be like Christ. And the third is to realize that this whole thing, conversion, Christ's return, the whole road in between is God's work.
is God doing? Let's look at these words. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. For which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This whole thing is God's work. The whole thing. Conversion is God's work. Paul on the road to Damascus was taken hold of by Christ. God took hold of him. Same with you and me. When we come to Christ in faith, it is because Christ took hold of us. It is his doing. The final moment is quite obviously his doing. He returns. He returns and transforms us. We will never, ever be perfectly like God unless God himself transformed us into his likeness. He transforms us when he comes again. But this whole process, it's also God's work. Jesus, when he was talking with his apostles, when he was talking about how he must return to the Father, he told them that he would not leave them orphans. That he would send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells inside every believer. Every person who has faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells inside you. He guides you. He leads you. He teaches you. He takes you on this journey salvation. Do we work? Yes. Do we have to endeavor? Yes. Do we have to put effort into it? Yes. Is there discipline? Yes. But everything we do is because Christ has done it first. We respond. And that is good news, friends. That is good news to know It's God's work. Because then we stand confident knowing that what happened at conversion, what happened when we gave our life to Christ, is assured. For it's His work. That is good news. We know, as as Paul says in the Philippians, that He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. So what do we do with this? Well, today, we endeavor to know Christ. Tomorrow, we endeavor to know Christ. The day after, we endeavor to know Christ. And the day after, and the day after, and the day after. But there will come a day. There will come a day when the heavens will open. There will come a day when the trumpet of the archangels will sound. There will come a day in the twinkling of an eye we will be transformed. 
There will come a day when we will see clearly, when we will be perfected, when there will be no gap in our relationship with Christ. There will come a day when we will be in His presence forever. For on that day, our Lord returns. The early church used to close services with an Aramaic saying, Maranatha, our Lord come. Maranatha, our Lord come. I think I'll close with that today.